I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Have you ever watched an apocalyptic sci-fi movie and wondered, could any of this really happen? I'm Carrie Bechet, and on Hypothetical, we explore what-if questions two ways, through speculative science fiction and through insight from the world's most brilliant scientists. And spoiler alert, your favorite sci-fi movies aren't nearly as far-fetched as you may think. Time travel with me into our possible futures on Hypothetical. New episodes every Tuesday available on all podcast apps. That's Hypothetical, H-Y-P-E-R-T-H-E-T-I-C-A-L. We love you. We're blowing out the mic. It's a holiday in my mind. I'm just so happy to have Molly. Thomas. We're still in the President's Day glow. Oh yeah. This this confusing week is fabulous. Guys, welcome back. Welcome Molly Thomas, our amazing co-host today, who's a great friend and funny lady, which is really important. <laughs> just like really important. Honestly, it's like top two characteristics <laughs> that's important to me in meeting any person. Are you it's female? Funny. Are you funny? That's it. That's it. <laughs> That's We're it. friends. That's it. I'll tell you everything about me and my birth story. <laughs> I'm actually so happy because I've had so many more comedians on recently because I think at the beginning, I don't know why, I just figured like everyone's so used to inviting each other to each other's improv shows and I was like, no one wants to be on a podcast. And now I'm like, I've been in it long enough. I can invite my friends. Yeah. <laughs> They're really funny. Well, I, that's a relief to hear that because I listened to a couple of your episodes in the last couple of days that were all they were all journalists. And oh, yeah, that's <laughs> intimidating. Like, I gotta get my facts straight. I don't worry about it. As I say, facts don't matter. No, I've never said that, but <laughs> we'll start today. That's the whole thing. That's a great tie-in because that's the I whole know. problem with this dude. Facts don't matter. No, guys. Okay, so Molly, you are brilliant. You are a comedian, but you're also incredibly smart. And 
I feel like sometimes when I do these episodes as well, I get nervous. I'm like, I just want to make sure it's well-researched. And what's so funny about this topic is you can research until your heart's content and things are still fuzzy. So it's not our fault. Yes. Okay. So we're talking about Frank Abagnale Jr. Look at her book with tabs and notes. Oh my gosh. She is a journalist. You are a journalist. Honestly, I felt like a journalist this last week. You are. Yeah. Taking a lot of notes on this dude. And you weren't even prepared for this, Molly. Molly just texted me like, this is a cool idea. And I said, come on the podcast. (laughs) Do it with me now. (laughs) It's true. I wasn't even angling to be on the show, but I I saw this article. I think I was scrolling on... I was actually on Facebook, I'll admit it. And I was it's scrolling fine. and I I saw this article that's, that was saying that um, Frank Abagnale Jr., it, the whole thing is a scam. And I was yeah. shocked. So I had seen Catch Me If You Can. It came out in 2002 mm-hmm. with Leonardo DiCaprio and Tom Hanks. It's a really fun, entertaining movie. I just, you know, I guess this guy lives in my head a little bit. Sure. And then in 2017... He, Frank Abagnale Jr. did a talk at Google, and it was actually the first one where they invite a speaker. It's kind of like their own. Really? I didn't realize he was the first one. He was the first one. So I cut you off. It's their own TED Talk. It's their own TED Talk. And the person, or at least he spoke for about uh, 20, 25 minutes, and then he did a QA and a after. And my husband, Tom, had actually shown me this talk, I don't remember, at some point in the last couple of years, to say... Like, uh, this dude is, he's just such a good dude. He's, he's like the mensch of all mensches. And that's, yeah, that's how this was presented to me. Sure. And I bought it hook, line and sinker. And then the other thing in it was he talks about debit cards in this later in the Q and A don't use your debit card, use your credit card, because if the number is stolen, there's a level of protection. If your debit card is stolen, then the crook has access directly to your bank account. A credit card right. is like a fire door. It's a stop. An extra shield. Uh-huh. Exactly. Same with PayPal, guys, online. If you buy uh, things with PayPal, you get PayPal will protect you. And I think this is a good time for our ad for <laughs> PayPal. <laughs> you know, I wish. I'm like, PayPal, give me those bucks. Honestly, if anybody should be doing uh should be giving you ad revenue for a scam podcast. I'll Maybe take it. Oh, and don't even get me started on my beautiful couch. I saw your man. So exciting. It is beautiful. <laughs> so, um, okay. so I watched this talk. That was in the back of my head. I was scrolling mm-hmm. on Facebook. Mm-hmm. I saw somebody posted an article, you know, the thing on Facebook. You see an article, yeah, you repost it. Yeah. So Alan C. Logan um, has actually been a science writer who in the last couple of years has now written two books about major scammers um this is the second one so this came out last year so he was being interviewed i think in a like a press you know junket about this Mm -hmm. book so he's not a journalist so that is there are a couple of little like potholes in this book of Mm -hmm, things mm -hmm. that i just feel like were were ironed out even more but he really pretty systematically goes through and debunks all of this stuff about Frank and and Frank's original story, right? And like Frank's he- story, and mm-hmm. then in the and and it's completely annotated. So he references three hundred and forty-five different articles and books and letters and whatever. Pretty and good. so you can actually yeah. go back and you know follow up the material wow. on your own if you want to. But the bottom line is the whole thing is a lie. Wow. 
And I'll say too, he was very, we talked about there was so many of our scammers. They're so proud. They're so proud of their scam work. They're so smart. They're so confident. They're like, look what we did. You, I've been waiting on the sideline to tell everyone. They, the minute that these scammers, all of them, they want documentaries made after them. They're like obsessed with their own con. And so that's also why he made his scams or his claims to scam so public. Like he didn't have to. <laughs> he could have right. just been like some of the jail time he got his sentences got lowered like he kind of skid he was skating by for a while he didn't need to make all this publicity about himself he was living off of other people thriving but no he had to make sure that like Spielberg did a movie on him right and yeah if he had decided if he had really been reformed right he could have moved he's he's a very charismatic person he could have moved Mm -hmm. into a field honestly anywhere right but he's like addicted to can't help it can't help it he can't help himself okay so so uh he said that he left home at 16 and uh from the age of 16 to 20 he pretended to be a pan am pilot flying two million (laughs) miles flying two million miles all over the world he said he would fly with different airlines because they have reciprocal programs. So let's say you're a Pan Am pilot and you go to Delta and you say, hey, they need me in Houston. Will you put me in the jump seat? And so airlines do that for each other to get their crews around the country when they need to do that. And this is in his autobiography. So he's telling all of this in his own autobiography. This is in Catch Me If You Can. And it's in any speech that he ever gives. Okay. So he's making sure this is clear. Yeah. So if you're like, I'm unfamiliar, I what should I do? I don't want to give him money by buying his book, which I hate to mm-hmm. say I had to do. You did it. It's okay. Watch his Google talk on okay. YouTube. And that's a great primer. That's yeah. a great little door into who he is. Okay. So he said that he did that, flew 2 million miles for free, posing as a Pan Am pilot. He, then he said he was an assistant attorney general in Louisiana and closed oh. 33 cases. And passed the bar exam. <laughs> like as an 18-year-old kid, he says that Whoa. he did this. Um, 33 cases, okay. Yeah, close 33 cases. He said he was a, a pediatrician in Georgia. Ew. The way that he phrases it in the book is he moved into a singles complex, and he didn't want to say he was a pilot because he was on the lam, so he said he was a doctor. And then he said he was a pediatrician so that nobody there would ask him for medical help. Oh, because there were no kids. Because there were no kids. But then it just so happened there was another doctor there who was working on opening a pediatric unit in the hospital. And he did all this research. They were saying that Frank spent like every day in the hospital library doing research about being a doctor. And so one day the like the head of the hospital called him in, was like, Would you do me a favor? Would you oversee the unit for the night shift? We just we got to get a doctor in here. The, the entire thing is a lie. Not, not oh, that a, never happened. Not a single word. Not a single word of any of this is true. Whoa. He never posed as a lawyer. He never took the bar exam. Because yeah, how are you going to close those cases when you're in the air? I mean, he has a lot of miles. He's covering a lot of bar exams. Lots happening. Because these weren't overlapping, he says. He did the pilot thing for a couple of years. Then he was an mm-hmm. attorney general. Then he worked in a hospital. Then he said he was a professor uh, in Utah for two semesters teaching sociology. All right. <laughs> and then after that, he circled back around to uh, start a fake stewardess program <gasps> where he went to University of Arizona and he interviewed juniors 
And he said, yeah. And he says that he signed eight of them up. He told them that it was like a a press thing. So they weren't going to be learning about how to fly, but they were going to be going all over Europe and taking photographs. (laughs) So for stewardess models. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful young women. And then, and then the last thing he said was that he also uh, cashed $2.5 million in bad checks, uh, like fake Pan Am checks. And then after that, he says the feds, the feds were after him for years. They finally caught him. They extradited him to the United States. He was in federal prison for a couple of years, but then um, he agreed to work for the FBI, and that's why they sure. let him out. And he's been working for the FBI for 40 years. Now, these are the things he says. Truly, 1% of it is true. He does not work for the FBI. He never yeah, has. Why is the FBI admitted that when Leonardo DiCaprio's coming out with his stuff? Why has no. it taken so long? So well, I mean, he has no interest in coming out with any of this. <laughs> yeah. That is sort of the lore of Hollywood and how fast they jump on things. They're like, that's a cuckoo story. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's go. Let's push it. Now, was he flying these airplanes or was he just sitting in airplane seats? That kind of blows my mind. But here's the, so here is the thing. So he says he was doing this from 16 to 20, right? And that's what's right. that's what's so amazing. And especially the flight part, like flying for free on Pan Am's dime, that I think that's what's so exciting to everybody. I think that he did that once or twice. Yeah. It's there's a story about a, a flight attendant that he met, and he did say that he was a pilot. He got on her flight, she was a Delta flight attendant. Mm-hmm. He didn't he didn't sit in the jump seat with the pilots. He sat like in the back of the plane. Right. And then he stalked her. <laughs> yeah. He literally stalked her. Followed her home. I I read that little blurb. Uh, but not only did he like he convinced her to go out for dinner. It was like midnight, so she and another flight attendant went. And she was like, "Okay, bye-bye." And mm-hmm. he started showing up wherever she would land. So if she would fly Oh, really? Yes. Okay. So he must have done the flight thing. Give him like seven times, a dozen times. Like, yes. Yeah. Yes. I th- and I yeah. think I think he did. So he did it. Uh, he did it a couple of times. He follows her to Louisiana, mm-hmm. and where she's she, from, where she's from, and she doesn't know how to get rid of him. And so she says, "Look, I'm I'm going to see my parents in Baton Rouge." And he says, "Okay, I'll drive you." Mm-hmm. And so. They go to Baton Rouge. She introduces him to her family. She thinks then he'll turn around, get in the car and leave. He doesn't. He stays and starts mm-hmm. a charm offensive to charm her family. Mm-hmm. And then and then I think he leaves that, that, that day or whatever. He shows up a week later and says, I happen to be in town. You invited me to stay if I'm ever here again. He lives with them for a month in her bed, in her bedroom. I read that and she said that she would never be home when he was there. She, like, couldn't handle being there. Yeah, she's totally creeped out. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't in the movie. <laughs> no, that was not in the movie. He also, so a big claim of his is that he never stole from individuals. He never stole from small businesses. He only stole from big businesses. And that's another huge part of his charm. Everybody's like, ah, who gives a fuck if you're stealing from... The Mensch effect, yeah. Yeah, Pan Am, Chase, Bank, whatever. But he stole personal checks from Paula Park's parents and from mm. her little brother. He stole money out of this like <gasps> high school kid's account. Yeah. 
And then through them, he met other people. He met this minister. And then the <gasps> minister ended up getting him out of prison that. later. Oh, yeah. oh my chance. Yeah. Like he he's collecting his tools. Like he's getting his people ready for his next crime. Like right. that, that minister was planned for his future crime. Yeah. Well, the minister. Okay. So the first thing was he told the minister that he had gone to Cornell and had a degree in sociology, which is just, he didn't, <laughs> he didn't finish high school. I'm going to say that too. I'm going to be like, guys, I have a degree in sociology or a degree in people's feelings, you know? Right. I mean, apparently that's, that's what he did. And that's, and that's the thing that ultimately he's good at is just making up lies and saying them incredibly mm-hmm. confidently. Mm-hmm. But he, he said he had this degree and he was a furloughed pilot. And so then this, um, minister sets up interviews for him and he would go on these interviews and at universities and then the minister Reverend Underwood would hear back from these people like this guy is not qualified he does not have the degree we called Cornell he doesn't have a degree what's up with this yeah. with this kid did the minister have any was he still like duped this whole time well that's when he got suspicious Okay. And then, but then shortly after that, Frank was arrested and then he started appealing to him. And I think the, the minister was, the minister believed that he wanted to be reformed. Wow. And so he helped yeah. him out. Another, another massive claim is that he was only arrested once. It's very easy to look that up. <laughs> right. Right. And that's the, he, he was basically arrested so many times in and in and out of prison from 16 to 20 that he had plenty of time to think up all of these schemes, but he didn't okay. have time to do any of these things. Yeah. Because he was in jail. Oh my gosh. That is so, yeah. What's so crazy is, I mean, con artists really love the spin, the effect, the change. And what they're very good at is that they will find whatever that person is interested in and then just really go into it, really exploit it. So you could say to the priest, you know, I'm this professor. And then when that doesn't work out, you're like, look, but you know me, I love God. I'm reformed. Like he's just, he's constantly changing his tactic to just keep in with these, these people that he's relying on really to like save his ass when he gets in and gets out. And I, I kept reading that it said, um, he would have all these sentences and then his sentences would get incredibly shortened or he'd be on probation and not even have to go to the prison. And they're like, because the prison was known for being like a, a terrible situation. I'm like, yeah, because he was white. So like everybody else who's at the prison, who's like wrongfully accused is having everybody else at the, is having a terrible situation. They're not fixing the prison. They're just saving this like charming white guy from going there. I hate oh, it. oh, absolutely. I hate it. Absolutely. Yeah, it was late 60s. Yeah, forget it. To the mid 70s. And yeah, it, it's the ultimate like charming enough young white guy just like skates yeah. through that's really like when they were in their prime too like it was like women wanted rights but they didn't really expect them <laughs> no. oh yeah no. it was like women wanted to not be like sexualized but it was also like okay this will take time he just jumped right in there oh man and that and that's another thing about his book and about the way that he would speak so so he started being a public speaker he was on TV in 1977 on on the show called To Tell the Truth. Yes. So they would bring somebody on who had a crazy story and three people would pretend to be that person. And then a panel would interview them all to figure out who was telling the truth. Okay. So that was another time that he could have been vetted. But clearly, and this is where it gets even slimier. It's like, oh, the producers of that show didn't, they wanted good ratings. They didn't care to vet him. 
No, that it wasn't the FBI. It was a television show. This was exciting to them. And they like, I'm sure if they had any inkling, like maybe it's not true. They're like, oh, just put him on TV. It's, it'll be great. It'll be fun. Yeah. He had been giving speeches for for a year or two at that point, like at high schools and chamber of commerce and whatever, small businesses. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, uh, and then he was on Johnny Carson in 1978, yes. and that's when he got huge. Right. But they would have been able to vet him, too. Yeah. Well, I read, too, that that stewardess who was upset saw him on Johnny Carson, and that's when she got really livid. And I think a lot of people, this is really common when you see with people with scams, is that when you get scammed, you're incredibly embarrassed, you're upset, it changes your family forever. She said her whole family was changed. They, they had this Southern hospitality. They never really trusted anyone again for the rest of their lives. It really just screwed up their whole family dynamic. And so when she saw him on Johnny Carson, that was when she got angry and wanted to talk about it and share that this is this guy's a fake. But I don't think until then there was any sort of commotion made. Like whoever he scammed back and forth, like he had either embarrassed enough or it hadn't been that big of a deal. No, that's the, that's always his line is like, of course, people aren't talking about it like that I flew Pan Am, whatever. Pan Am's too embarrassed or these people yeah. are too embarrassed. There were, after he was on Carson, though, that really drummed up a lot of interest. And there were stories by a couple of journalists, but, but they were they were local. So there was a San Francisco mm-hmm. paper that did a big article about him and one in Oklahoma because he moved. Did he move to Oklahoma or he spoke there? So there were mm-hmm. these big articles debunking everything but because it was before the internet it wasn't a big enough splash yeah right it was really local and then it kind of went away wow and then he wrote his own book that was after probably johnny carson right it was it was in 1980 he wrote his own book which is called catch me if you can right so then he makes his own splash which is like a huge it was like you know the internet documentary before writing your right. own book. And at the same time, he, he did the college circuit. Like he went to, <laughs> yeah. he went, he went to NACA and. <gasps> oh, I know that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Got himself booked at all these places <sighs> and, and really like going to small businesses and speaking and conferences and all of this stuff. And he's still doing that today. Yes. I just saw he was speaking in 21. He was just at another university speaking. Right. So many people have written articles debunking his claims but he he keeps picking up more and more illustrious people to tell his story and wow. well so he was on Carson so so now right. once he's on Carson and he tells the story and he was on Carson a couple of times okay then he's got that and he's got a photograph right. of him sitting there with Johnny Carson and then right. that has so much more clout than an article mm-hmm. or your grandma's story of when he screwed her over on a fishing trip or something. Right, right, exactly. But Johnny Carson likes him, he's funny. <laughs> exactly. And then and then the movie was made about him in 2002. And then there was a Broadway musical that Terrence McNally wrote the book for in 2011. And then this Google Talk in 2017. And then he was on 60 Jeez. Minutes in Australia in 2019. <sighs> and And so every time he, like, lands a big fish like that, Yeah. It it just gives him more gas. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. 
With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Hey there. Ever wonder what happens to all those amazing screenplays that never make it to the big screen? Wonder no more. Welcome to Table Read Podcast, where we bring those undiscovered gems to life. Picture this. Talented actors giving incredible performances with the occasional laugh or blooper thrown in, produced by award-winning pros. From drama to comedy, TV pilots to feature films, there's something for everyone. And guess what? We release new episodes every week, so don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Table Read Podcast, where great stories finally get their chance to shine. So a thing that really gets my goat about him, because they talk to people and... He's, he's such an entertaining storyteller that, mm-hmm. that even I think after people find out it's a scam, they go, well, who cares? It's really fun to listen to, whatever. Yeah. But a major, major, major part of his book is how much tail he got. And, <laughs> and of like, of course, of course, an autobiography is like, but don't forget, I boned a ton of bitches. Oh, I mean, ni- it's 1980. I got Woo! a lot of money and a lot, a lot of coke, of- a lot of pussy. <laughs> yeah, right. A lot of beautiful ladies. And so he doesn't go into any specifics in the book, but okay. So the stewardess program. Yeah. What the fuck is so that? He- so here's the crazy thing. So a lot of the things, some of the things he says, like I was a doctor, I'm sure that was a lie he told once, but that was it. The, the whole thing yeah. was a lie. The, the flight attendant program as an adult, so at 21 or 22, he did wear a pilot's uniform. He did yeah. go to the University of Arizona. He did set up interviews for young women to be flight attendants. And he had a day or a day and a half of interviews with women to be flight attendant or, you know, for this training program. Right. And they, in the book, he, he talks about it and makes a real point of saying that they gave him a private room like on the other side of the library and the administrator told him that nobody would bother him there. Mm. And so he's just proud of that. He's inferring in this story. Yeah. It's, he's like bragging like, and then yeah. I assaulted all these women. <laughs> yeah. And then I took advantage of each of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And because it's 2022, I think we would say probable assault yeah don't what in 1970 would be called like he got a little handsy yes we're not like yeah he assaulted yes he got a little handsy and those women have never forgotten about it and told their children about it and daughters about it and it has traumatized them forever but we'll just call it handsy (laughs) until 2022 (laughs) now he doesn't say that right he just says like the room was very very private and then like you can you can hear his eyebrows going up and down yeah right 
But the reality is he did interview people. He didn't take them all over Europe. But uh, the university had a guy who had been a pilot in the Navy or the Air Force. And they they said, okay, if you want to be a commercial pilot, you're saying you want to be a commercial pilot. There's somebody from Pan Am. He's not looking for pilots, but you should go talk to him anyway. Mm -hmm. And so he walked in the door and Frank Abagnale was surprised to see him and, you know, whatever, they still talked. And Frank bragged to this guy that not only was he a pilot there interviewing the women, but he was also doing their physicals. <gasps> oh, no. Yeah. Now, whether that's true, and he was straight up assaulting these women, or Maybe. that was a brag to this other man, that was like his it's MO. Under the umbrella of disgusting. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. honestly, I don't care which one it was. It's all yeah. disgusting. Yeah, the fact that you think that that's a brag that you're like, I've like duped these women into letting me feel them up, or if you've actually the fact that you think that's something to be proud of, or the fact that you did it. Either way, is the most disgusting thing. Yeah, and in there's a there's a picture in the book in speeches. He would he would always dress up. He would wear a a jacket with a like a silk pocket square in yeah. the. Right. And so so he'd be speaking to them and then he would say, um, you know, I would I would always look like this in my mug shots. I'd be dressed up. And then like it was something like things are not always what they seem. And then he would take out his pocket square and hold it up to the audience and it would be a pair of women's panties (laughs) during his speech about fraud and business. Honestly, you know what's fraud? You guys don't know how much bone and I do. That's what's fraudulent. Truly. And then he'd say, makes you want to get a cold. (gasps) (laughs) Makes you want to get a cold? Stick that vagina juice up your nose, fellas. It's the best. Makes you want to catch a cold. So that was just part of his whole shtick was how much he tricked women into sleeping with him or how much they threw themselves at him or how many underwears he collected how many <laughs> underwears <laughs> oh fucking idiot and then he switched it in the 90s to being a family man and being a dad is the most important thing and being a good husband is he a, is he a father he is a husband and a father of 3 Ooh. yes but he, so he switched. And so when you, if you watch that Google speech, it's all about, he's like, anybody can be a father, but mine was a daddy, which is also just gross. What? Like anytime Don't a grown up says the word Don't daddy. Don't call yourself a daddy. Ugh. Yeah. No, he's, <laughs> yeah, he's saying his father was a daddy. What? I don't like know. His, so his dad was. He defines nice. what daddy means. I, yeah. No, you know what? I don't even want to unpack that. Let's get, uh, <laughs> we're going to move on from that. I don't even want to go there. I don't want to know what his father taught him. Don't um, unpack so, it. God, he's just such an opportunist. Like he's just yes. using, okay, like, so now I have children. So now panties in the face isn't going to really doesn't play. get them as much. It doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't play. play like it used to. It doesn't hit. You know, you can't hand a baby a panty. Um, So we got to do something else. We got to bring my diaper bag with me. We got to show how involved I am. Like he's just, he's like moving and thinking and working so hard. I wonder if that too, you know, when you see someone just like really working their ass off, like really stressed out and anything, and it could be like somebody, you're getting a coffee and the barista is just like really trying to make it great. It might not be the best, but you're like, you know what? Thanks. Thank you for the effort. I feel like there has to be some of that in the storytelling when he's like, yeah, and then I really gave it to the guys and I was really tough there. And I, I lift a lot of suitcases and Pan Am flights. You just want to be like, 
okay, I'll give it to you. I feel like there's a lot of people like placating it because he looked like he was working really hard. Well, yeah, but part of his shtick was like, I did all this without even really trying. It's like, I just okay. kind, I just kind of landed in this. I just figured it out. It's pretty simple. Oh, yeah, that's a big thing. That's a big thing with him. Con artists always want you to know that they're smarter, that they've already thought of it five steps ahead, that how come you didn't think about it, that this is, they always want to prove that if they duped you, how easy it was to be duped. You're never, it's so funny. I'm reading Agatha Christie voraciously. I'm obsessed with Agatha Christie right now. And one of her recent books is my new favorite. Of course, I can't remember it. It was called... The Crooked House. And she wrote in the introduction that it was her one of her favorite books, and she's really proud of it. And they talk about the characteristics of a murderer, which are really similar to the characteristics of a con artist, <laughs> in the fact that they won't shut up about it. Like, oh. if you are, if you think you're such a, if you're a clever murderer, not just like a murderer that's in passion or in defense, mm. you know, or, or like a, a fluke moment, if you're somebody who's a calculated murderer, like this character, they won't shut up about it. And that's exactly how Frank sounds. I mean, thank God he hasn't killed anyone. Thank God on any of those fights. Yeah, that we know of. But (laughs) my God, like, he's so proud of himself. Agatha Christie called it. (laughs) Oh, he's so proud of himself. And and what I think is the most, like, the fun game to do with him is Mm -hmm. to, to, like, listen to the Google talk and just anything, any kind of detail that hits you, just unpack it for two seconds and you'll discover yeah. what a bold-faced lie it is so he says yeah. in the talk somebody asks him in the q a if he thinks that tom hanks and leonardo dicaprio did a good job and, or like it, did that feel like okay. you did that feel real right no yeah thanks google and yeah. <laughs> wow really good research <laughs> yeah yeah wow you guys are Good thing you guys have my face identified <laughs> on every app I own and also my social. And you're tracking my every move. Yeah. Thank yeah. you, Google. Top-notch questions. So he says, like, I don't really watch movies and I and I never really have whatever. So it's like, oh, I'm so smart and I'm so erudite. Because yeah. I, I that even... was trendy in 2017 to not have a TV. Yeah, I don't even watch movies. And then he says, when it was announced that Leonardo DiCaprio was was gonna play me, I didn't even really know anything about him okay Just another lie it was a total lie he wept during titanic and we all know it okay yeah, this is post titanic and real yeah. that was 97 okay so he says street gangs of new york was in the theater which is Gangs of New York. So he gets yeah, the title yeah, wrong, yeah. but I think he gets it wrong on purpose to just show what like a, a doddering, like kind of retiree oh. dude who doesn't like movies. Street Gangs of New York was in the theater, so I went to go see it. And I thought to myself, how can this bearded blah, blah, blah play me? So you just go, wait, does that timeline match up? Catch Me If You Can came out in 2002. Gangs of New York came out in 2002. They came out the same year. So that's just oh. a lie. And it's an easy lie to debunk. Yeah. And he does that all the time. Yeah. Also, like, what an idiot to be like, I don't know if an actor can put on a beard or not. <laughs> it's like right. what a stupid. Like, he's also a bad improviser. Like, he's not pulling. He's not pulling the facts out fast enough or figuring out the situation. But he's good at distracting. So he's saying all of yeah. this stuff that's not answering the question. Bad mm-hmm. improv, but good yeah. con man. Because it's just like, oh I'm not going to talk about that question you asked me. <sighs> well, it, and it was interesting, too, because the thing that everybody, everybody loves, I will say, what is what is internet fodder, what is folklore, everything 
is that someone who has changed or has a moral shift in their life and they've said like, I'm not going to be that way. I'm now different and I'm not going to give back. And then you feel like they make you feel that they're the smartest person in the room because they're like, look, I have done X, Y, and Z. I was so smart then, but now I'm on your side. So now you have me on the offense and I'm going to help you be protected against everybody else. Somebody who's reformed is not going to glamorize his crimes as much as he does. And but that also that all of his crimes were victimless. That was a big, huge part of his story. Like not only is he reformed, he doesn't even feel bad. Like it was this like hubris of like, and I don't even feel bad because nobody was harmed. And then people kept coming through the woodwork being like, I was harmed. (laughs) I was personally victimized by Regina George. Like it was a real thing. Right, right. Another thing that he did was he, when he was, 21 or 22, he got a job working for a summer camp. Ew. Yeah. So much of this stuff ends up going back to very young women and to very young women, basically. And that's why I do think ultimately he should probably be Me too I'm not saying anything specific that he did, but it feels like there's so much that points back to young women. There's, there just have to be, there just have to be so many stories. And he lied to work at this camp. And then he got one of the guys at the camp to make it. This guy was an artist and, Mm. or studied art. And he got him to make him like a fake Delta ID. And then he tried to flee (gasps) the country using that Delta ID. And he had a girlfriend at the time and he used her credit card to take everybody out on the town. (gasps) And then she bailed him out and he eventually got caught. It's just. Yeah. Also, he wasn't even that cute. I mean, let's be honest, like you had to put Leonardo DiCaprio in that role. Like they showed pictures of him and he was saying, oh, he's so charming. He just took kind of like a bloated guy. He didn't look that cute to me. Right. He's not that cute. Then they make a really specific point in the book. uh, Paula Parks, the flight attendant, just Mm -hmm. keeps talking about how much he smelled. Like (gasps) That is so funny. He got on the flight and he reeked. You never hear about that. I know. (laughs) Well... I, he seemed like he maybe was a little homeless, like was it didn't have that many places to wash up or powder, you know, right. and he didn't, yeah. didn't even know how to clean himself. Yeah, she, yeah, they said that That's he smelled so like fear, which makes <gasps> sense if he's scamming his way onto a plane and he's like 19, 20 years old. Wow, 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 wow. And did they ever talk anything about his family, his daddy, as he calls it? <laughs> um, they do, they do talk about his parents some in the book so they oh uh, yes okay so they did divorce when he was like 12 or 14 mm-hmm. um and he lived with his dad for a while and they talk about both of his parents when he was arrested sent letters saying like he's been doing this for years he's oh. he's been writing bad checks so his parents were not on his side no his parents were not on his side because he's a dirty little scam boy. And in the yeah. Google talk, he makes it sound like, he doesn't say it explicitly, but it makes it sound like he was 16 years old. They pulled him out of school and were like, hey, you have to go to court because your parents are getting divorced and you have to decide today who you want to live with, your mom or your dad. And that's no, not... That's a line from like a movie. That's like not even... Yeah. 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 But that's that's how his whole speech starts. Oh, Google. Oh, just that's how he gets that sympathy. That's how he locks it in right away. These are also storytelling techniques that they teach you at the moth. (laughs) Like, I'm not kidding. Like (laughs) when you do storytelling stories and like comedic storytelling, you start with something that 
grounds you and connects you to the whole audience. You start with something nostalgic. You start with a childhood experience that people can relate to. And then you tell your story. This is like exactly the um, equation of how to tell a good story. Yeah. So he's a great storyteller. Great storyteller. He's really captivating. Disgusting, handsy man. Disgusting, handsy dirtbag scammer. Maggie, guy. God. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. 
So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.